The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. As we're kicking off this series, I'd like to just start with just a simple question um, that is really burning on my mind this morning. Why is it so cold outside? (laughs) Yesterday was nice. I mean, yesterday it was like in the 50s, okay? Today, it hurt me, okay? I mean, like, just to give you an idea, like, uh, here's another city that has about the same weather we do today. Oslo, Norway, okay? (laughs) That's like where Vikings live, okay? Like, Elsa lives there, okay? They've got got reindeer, okay? That's like what happens in, in Oslo, and it's about the same temperature here today, okay? I don't know, like some of you are maybe visiting from up north, okay, and you're down here just for this weather. What'd you do? I mean, you broke South Florida. I mean, we blame you. I don't know what you did, but um, this is uncharacteristically cold weather. It's been painful. And it even affected yesterday when it was a little nicer. I was out uh, with the kids and we were playing and um, we all went outside to enjoy the nice weather and we put on um, ski jackets and uh, I had, this is, I'm not exaggerating here. I had ski gloves, I had a scarf, a hat on. They were dressed similarly and we were we were playing in the backyard and uh, the game we were playing is we were pretending that we were a family surviving in the arctic <laughs> and so we were living we were in this little hut okay and it was freezing cold and the two-year-old hope she was the mom okay and the rest of us were the kids and hope would go out and find us food and she'd come back with with food at one point we we killed some seals that were like palm fronds and we dragged them back okay to our hut there was some ice fishing at one point okay this was the the game we were playing and as i was playing with the kids um i would i just marvel at their capacity for imagination you know, like they, like in my mind, it's one thing to just pretend we're in the Arctic with the Arctic weather we had, but like they, it's just amazing what they can add into it. Like at one point, it was not weird at all that there were lightsabers involved, okay? Another point, there was a magical land that we went to. Like the kid's capacity for imagination is incredible. And I got to thinking, you know, like what's really the difference when it comes to imagination between an adult and a child, because we as adults, we can be very creative. You know, we can think very creatively. Some of the the greatest stories in every generation, they're actually written by adults, not written by children. We, We have a great capacity to create. We might have a different attention span than children, but we have the same capacity to create. So what really is the difference between a child and an adult? And what I was, I was thinking about this, I was thinking really what we kind of mature into is not that we have less imagination. It's just that as adults, we can discern between fiction and reality more clearly, typically. And so as adults, like as a child, their imagination kind of blends into, kind of like rolls into, it's a blurry line where their imagination kind of flows into reality. And so as adults, we kind of fix reality and and we say, okay, here's the limits of imagination, but here is where reality is. And there's something that's not necessarily bad about that. I mean, there's things that are 
healthy about that. There are things that are, um, that are safety issues with that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But here is one interesting thing that the Bible says. What our father says, so, you know, we as adults, we have uh, hopefully a higher uh, intellectual cognitive capacity than children. For some of us, that's, you know, stretching it a little bit. Okay, but for the most part, we have a higher cognitive capacity than our children. We've been around longer. You know, we've got more years. We know what the world is like. But what our father says, what God says, who compared to him, he's been around a lot longer than we have. Like, we're still little. We're young. We're infantile compared to God. Like, him cognitively, he's not just a little more developed than we are. He's infinitely wiser and more all-knowing than we are. What God says to us is that unless you have the faith of a child, you can't understand the kingdom of heaven. And so what's interesting, as we become adults, we separate imagination from a reality. And then as we mature in the Lord, what he says is, you actually have to have imagination to comprehend reality. There's part of the reality of who you are and of this universe. It's not, that, it's not fiction. It's actual reality. But you need to have imagination. You need to have the faith of a child to comprehend it. And more specifically, we've got to have faith. We've got to have scripture guided imagination to understand the reality about ourselves and who we are. I want to show you what the scripture says about that. We're in a series called City Changers. And in this series, our goal is to say, okay, God, you've called us as a church, you've called City Rev as one of the, the express, local expressions of the South Florida church to give ourselves to seeing our city reached and transformed. It's not just building up our church, it's reaching the city. What is each one of our part in that vision? How do we live that out together? That's not the mission on the church you attend. Church is not something you tend, church is something you are. And so if that's the mission on your church, that's the mission on you and on me. How do we live that out day to day? I want you to see what the scripture says in John chapter 20. Open in your Bible or your Bible app to John chapter 20. Um, we're going to take a look for, at starting in verse 19. John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 19. Here's what it says. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Okay, let's just pause there for a second because if you just took that verse right out of where it is in the, in the story of John, um, that doesn't seem that strange. Okay, the disciples are hanging out. They're a little frightened, but they're hanging out. Jesus comes by. He shows up and says, peace be with you. Not a big deal. 
What's so strange about that? Well, let's get the context. For starters, John is very clear what day it is. He says, on that day, the first day of the week. This is a Sunday, uh, the first day of the week, but it is a particular Sunday. If you are on your Bible app and you scroll up a little bit or you're in uh, a physical Bible and you turn back the page, what day is this? It is not just any day. It is the day. It is not just any Sunday. This is the Sunday. This is the Sunday when everything in the history of the universe pivoted. This is the one day that changed everything in all of creation. Every, every molecule, every piece of matter in every galaxy, in every universe that we will maybe never even discover, everything changed because of what had just happened. This is the Sunday, this is the day when Jesus rose from the dead. That's the day it is. It's on that day, the first day. It is a new week. It is a new, it is a Sunday. It is now something very new. It's not just a new week. It is something fundamentally new about everything that is. You say, well, that's kind of over. I mean, how can you, I mean, you can't state it bigger than that. You can't. And it is as big as that. What has already happened for these disciples? Already what has happened Early that morning, several of the ladies that were disciples, several of the ladies that were followers of Jesus, they go down to the tomb where Jesus was buried. On Friday afternoon, on morning he was crucified, he was dead. On, on Friday afternoon, he was buried in a tomb. They rolled a large stone in front of it. They sealed it. They put guards around it. And several of these ladies on Sunday went down to the tomb to anoint and prepare his body, even though it had already been buried. On their way down, they arrive at the tomb. The stone is rolled away. An angel is there. The tomb is empty. And an angel says to them that the Lord is risen. Jesus has come back to life. He was dead. He's the only person that defeated death and came back alive. Jesus is not there. He says, Jesus isn't here. He's risen. So the ladies run back to the other disciples and tell them that the Lord has risen, except for Mary Magdalene. She stays behind. She's weeping in the garden. And Jesus appears to her. She's the first person to see Jesus in his risen, as his risen self. They go back and tell the disciples. The disciples don't believe it. Uh, Peter and John take off running. They go down to the tomb. Uh, John gets there. He looks inside. Pete's, Pete, Peter blows right by him, runs inside the tomb. They see an empty tomb, and they go back. They're locking themselves in the room. Why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. The Jewish religious leaders, what had they just done? They had just coerced the crowd, and they had just coerced the local Roman government to crucify Jesus. And they're afraid of them. And so they're, they're locked in a room. Okay, I want you to put yourself in that room. It's been a rough few days. You saw Jesus arrested. You ran for your life. Some of them came and saw his mutilated body on the cross. He's gone. Your friend is gone. 
Your rabbi is gone. The one you thought the Messiah was going to be the Messiah was gone. The one you thought was the the promised one is gone. The one you were about to make king is gone. He's gone. Your hopes, it's not just your friend, your hopes are gone. You're discouraged, you're depressed, you're demoralized, you're confused. And you're scared. And then Sunday, you hear this confusing report, he's alive, it can't be, and you're there, but you're scared. I mean, the dominant emotion in the room, I want you to see this, the dominant emotion in the room as they're huddled together is not hope, it's fear. Their nerves are shot. They haven't gotten a lot of sleep. Some of them are just talking nervously. Others are, are just sitting quietly. Some are, are wa- walking around doing things and they're trying to get food for people and they don't know what to do with themselves. And every time they see someone, hear someone walk by outside, they all freeze and they all say, be quiet. Some of them, I just can't take this anymore. They're frustrated. It's just, they're scared. They don't know, how are we going to get out of Jerusalem? People are going to see us. They know we walk with, with Jesus. I mean, Peter already had someone. They, they know who we are. I mean, at his trial on Thursday, late Thursday night, they saw Peter there. Are they going to recognize us too? They're scared. And they've locked the door. And then Jesus appears. Now, I don't know about you, but if my nerves were fried and then someone just appeared in the room, I'd freak out a little bit, okay? All of a sudden, like, the doors are locked. You don't get the sense from John that he knocked. I'm not getting the sense that he tried the door or that he just, like, kind of magically, you know, used supernatural miracles and, like, you know, picked the lock. He just appeared, But he's not this vague kind of ghostly person. He's very physical. He's very real. And I think the best way to understand this is he's actually even more real. He's standing there. What happens at that moment? All of a sudden, Jesus appears. I mean, people are, they probably leap back. Someone screamed. Everyone gasped. Someone knocked a chair over. Someone was carrying some pots. They drop it. It smashes on the ground. Everyone gasps and stands back. And Jesus says, peace be with you. Now, this is a pretty loaded phrase. On one hand, this is the most common possible greeting. He's saying probably in Aramaic, he would be saying something like shalom. This is the most common greeting, even to this day in that part of the world. He says, shalom be with you. But there's a depth to this idea of shalom Shalom is not just peace the way we think of peace. We think of peace as like stop fighting or stop striving or just rest. But shalom, according to the Bible, means something much richer. Shalom means like everything is thriving at its absolute optimum. Everything is holistically uh, perfect and wonderful and vibrant and alive and just overall thriving. And the people in, of God's people in the Old Testament have a very complicated relationship with shalom. If you go back to Leviticus in the Torah, Leviticus chapter 26, God says this. Moses gives them the law. He says, look, if you follow my law, God says, you will have shalom. Everything will be thriving. Your fields will be thriving. Your families will be thriving. Your health will be thriving. If you follow the law, everything will be shalom. There will be thriving. 
But generation after generation after generation, hundreds and thousands of years, they could not keep the law. And so they didn't have thriving. They didn't have shalom. There'd be shalom for a period, and then it would break down. And it'd be shalom, and then it would break down. It would be shalom, and then it would break down. It got worse and worse and worse. More difficult, more difficult, more difficult. Less shalom, and less shalom, and less shalom, and less shalom. And finally, that land that God promised he would bless, finally it got so bad, they were so far from the law, that Babylon came in, wiped out Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took them out of that promised land that was promised to Abraham that Moses took them right to the edge of. Joshua took them into all that promised land that was supposed to have shalom over it. He just takes them out of the whole land and takes them back to Babylon. And while they're in Babylon saying, what in the world just happened? What did we do? Generations had this land and had this promise of shalom. What did we do? And then the prophet, while they're in Babylon, a prophet named Jeremiah says, here's what you do. Now you're gonna, you're gonna pursue the shalom of Babylon. And wait, because there's someone who's coming, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. Wait for a prince of shalom who will come. So when Jesus appears to them and says, peace be with you, that's a pretty loaded phrase. Let's see what happens next. Let's... Pick it up in verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. All right, I want you to see this. We're going to finish up the last couple of verses in just a second, but I want you to see this. He arrives, they scream, people jumping up, you know, people backing away, people gasping, plates being dropped, uh, cups being knocked over, things smashing. Someone just appeared out of nowhere in the room. They're freaking out. He says, peace be with you. And then he does this. Rolls up his sleeve. And he shows them probably right about here, a scar. See, the, by the Greek reckoning, from here to here is called the hand. And probably where the nails were is right here between the ulna and the radius so that the, the nail could, he could hang there on the cross. I mean, here it would just tear through the hand. That's not going to hold anyone on. It was probably right here. And so he, he rolls up his sleeves and shows them his arms. And then he he pulls back his robe and he, and he pulls it up and he shows them probably right here, right between his ribs, where after he died, they put a spear through, up through his ribs, through the top of his lungs and into his heart to ensure that he was dead. And he shows them the scars. Now this is the first time that um, they've ever seen his scars, right? I don't know if you've ever had a friend that uh, had a cast on for a long time or had surgery and, and uh, you're like, oh, let me see your scars. Earlier this year, my son, uh, our son, Nehemiah, 
um, he broke his arm and, um, you know, it was at night, he fell out of the bunk bed and he broke his arm and, uh, you know, Rebecca and I go running in and, you know, there's, there's two types of people, you know, there are those like two types of parents. There are the type of parent that are like really good in emergency situations and they like take over and you're like, okay, great. And then there are the type of people that are really bad in emergency situations and they back off and say like, I'm just gonna let you take over. I'm actually the worst because I'm not good and I take over, okay? <laughs> so I run and I'm just shouting incoherent you know, orders. Like you go get some orange juice and you sit in the corner and someone start the car. I mean, it's just, it, was, it was mayhem, okay? But somehow we managed to get to the hospital and he gets a cast on. He had that on for, for six weeks and there were some pins in there and that kind of stuff, okay? And he eventually gets uh, the cast off and then we want to see the scars. The first time we've ever, you know, seen the scars. And, oh, buddy, you know, they, you know let me see those. How's it feeling, okay? Like, it, when you see someone's scars, like, what you feel is like empathy. Like, you're, you're like, does it hurt? You're asking those questions. Can you see what the reaction of the disciples are when? When they see his scars. It's incredibly ironic. They see scars and they don't feel sorrow. They feel scars and they don't feel empathy. They see scars and it says they rejoice. This translation says glad, but the other translations uh, get closer, I think, to that Greek word. Some of them say they are overjoyed. They, they, they hug each other. Now, now there's different tears coming down their face. Now there's different shrieks and gasps and shouts. I mean, think about this moment. Their friend that they thought was dead is alive. Their, their rabbi, who they were putting their hope and their faith in, their teacher, their, the prophet that they were hoping for, the Messiah is, is still alive. Their king is still alive. And he's not just like, whoa, you escaped. It's like he's one. Those are battle scars of a victory that he has won. I want you to get the gravity of this moment. This is the moment they all became Christians. This is the moment. I mean, all, can you imagine like being like a Christian from Philippi or Athens and getting to meet one of these people? You'd be like, okay, you got to tell me about when he walked on water. Okay. Like I, what was that like? Like Peter, you stood on the water. Like, was it like sloshy or was it like hard, like concrete? Like, what was it like? I mean, you got to tell me like when he turned the water to wine, it says it was really good wine. Like, what did it taste like? You got to, I mean, when he fed the 5,000, you know, he's breaking the bread and like, was it like he had like kept breaking, it was a big pile or was it when you were passing it out, like it was the same amount in your hand and you couldn't believe it? Like, you got to tell me what was happening. But I think this is the moment they would want to tell you about. They want to tell you the first time they saw Jesus risen from the grave because he just defeated death for them. He just finished paying for their sins. He accomplished his work. He's the, it's the greatest victory, military victory in the history of the universe. Sin and death and all that went wrong in creation has just been won. And he, he presented some ID to them. His ID, his identification were his battle scars that he won in victory. He shows them his scars. And ironically, they rejoice, but it is the exact reaction they're supposed to have. Then Jesus said this, 
I want you to look at this because this is at the moment of their conversion. And when he, uh, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I want you to see with what he just said right there. At the moment of their conversion, what he says next, he says, peace be with you. True shalom that God's people have always been fighting for he just finished the battle. You now have shalom in Jesus. Peace be with you. And then he says, as I am sending, as my father sent me, so I'm sending you. Now that's not the first time Jesus said this. He says this also in John um, 17, 18. Here's what he says. He says, as this is in his prayer, John 17, 18, this is, the, this is Thursday night. They hear, hear him pray this. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's John 17, 18. This is an idea. This idea of my father has sent me is language that Jesus uses all the time. Jesus operates and he talks like that he is the ambassador, the son of God. Jesus is the, like an operating like an ambassador for the father. He says things like this. Listen to this. This is John 6, 38. He says, for I have come Come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, I want you to imagine your job is to be an ambassador. You represent another leader, another king, queen, president, prime minister, and I want you to imagine you are their ambassador and you arrive in Washington, D.C. You're there sent and you'll be there for three days. You wake up on day one. You've just arrived from whatever foreign country. You awake there uh, day one. And what do you say? You're like, okay, man, I'm here in D.C. What do I want to do today? You know what? I want to go to the zoo. I hear they have a good zoo. And then later, I'm going to go up the Washington Monument. And then I want to see the uh, MLK, MLK uh, Junior Memorial. I want to just go around and see the mine. We'll go hit the mall. We'll go to the, you know, we'll go to the museums. No, you're there and you're there to fulfill the mission of the one who sent you. If you, when you show up and you sit in front of the other uh, dignitary that's now representing whoever it is or whoever it is you're supposed to meet with, you're not like saying, okay, what do I want to say to this person? I have this opportunity. You know, I want to take advantage of this. What can I say? No, you already have your mission. You already have your message. And one more thing, you actually come with the authority of the person that brought, hey, I'm saying this, and the fact that I'm saying this as in the office of ambassador, you can know this comes from the king or queen or prime minister or president of my country. You come with the mission, the message, and the authority. These are the things that Jesus said routinely. If you're seeing me, you're seeing the Father. The words that I'm, I'm saying to you are not my words, but they're from the Father. I'm here not to do my will, but do the will of the Father. Those are all the ways that God the Father sent God the Son, and so then he says something incredible to his disciples. He says, that's how the Father sent me. That's how I'm sending you. 
I've now made you an ambassador. You're different from this day forward. He says to his disciples, now when you go out, you actually have a mission. It's the mission I give you. You have a message. It's my words. And you go with authority. Do you realize, did you notice what he says? Like, he says a lot of thing about uh, those you forgive will be forgiven. Those you don't forgive, you don't be forgiven. And you're like, what, what does that mean? You know, in, in context to their mission, he's putting in authority language what their mission is. What's their mission? We know this is like the great commission passage of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have their sending out they're sending out passages. This is John's great commission. What do we know from the great commission? We are called to go out and preach the gospel. We're going out to be a witness to Jesus. That is the message. And he's showing, John is showing, re um, recording Jesus' words, showing the weight of what we carry. Only God forgives sins. But as we take the gospel... It is the message of the gospel we've been entrusted with. It's the message of the gospel that is the power of salvation. We will be carrying the message on behalf of Jesus. The message of the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will have everlasting life. We take this message of the gospel that forgiveness is offered by the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross paying for our sins. And by as we deliver that message, there will some who will hear that message and they will find forgiveness. And there's others that will reject that message and they will remain in their unforgiveness. Do you, do you feel the weight of the, of the calling that is on each one of our lives? He's entrusted us with the message of the gospel. We're like ambassadors. As the Father sent the Son, so Jesus is sending us. But there's another level that's even harder for us to grasp. That is the way that the Father sent the Son. Look what it says in John 1.14. It's going to be up here on the screen. It's John 1.14 says... And the word became flesh, this is describing Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1, 14. Jesus described his ministry as an ambassador, but there was another whole level as to the reality of who Jesus was. Hang with me here, because this is so important. Jesus was God, the, God himself in the flesh on earth. He was the incarnation of God. He was, an, he was God incarnate. What does incarnate mean? You hear that, see that phrase carne, meaning like flesh? He was in the flesh, God in the flesh. It says in John 1 that he dwelt among us, that word dwelt in John 1 is the same word for tabernacle. Tabernacle was the mobile, it was like the mobile temple that they took with them until Solomon built the temple. It was a tent, and the presence of God dwelled in that tent, and it was shielded through all of these ornate curtains. And what it's saying is in the way that you used to have a tabernacle, Jesus was the very presence of God and the curtain was his flesh. Do you follow me? 
Jesus was the incarnation of God. So here's what I want you to imagine. Jesus was not just the ambassador for God. Jesus was God in the flesh. So when Jesus says to his disciples, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, he's not just saying, so go be my ambassadors. That's crazy enough that he sends us with a mission and with a message and with authority. He's saying more than that, you are the presence of you are the presence of Christ everywhere you go. You say, whoa, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. But look at what he did next. He breathed on them. The same word for breathe is the same word used in Genesis 2 when, when God took the dust of the ground, formed a man, and breathed life into him. Now Jesus is recreating all of these disciples, breathing on them, and they're receiving the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwelling in them. How can they possibly be the presence of Christ as sinful, fallen People who come up short, they have the living spirit of almighty God dwelling inside of them. That's what's happening. Christian, can, can you just stretch your imagination with me about what this means about you? As they went out, they were making more disciples, more mathetes. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are a mathetes. You are a disciple. Which means in the same way that the Father sent the Son, the Son is sending you. You are an ambassador. You and I are called to be the very presence of Christ in every sphere we walk in. I want you to look at something that shifted here. The, the room shifted when they were waiting for Jesus. From fear to rejoicing. And it was his, the resurrection of Jesus that shifted that. Now they go from huddled ones who sent ones. So church, let me ask you, are we more fully the church? You, you gotta hear this. Are we more fully the church when we're huddled behind closed doors or when we're sent out in the, as the presence of Christ into the world? See, here's the nature of who you are. Here's what he breathed over you and recreated you to be. Is not just going about your life, surviving your job, making it as a parent, holding together as your marriage, and then coming back and huddled together. That's right, I go to church, and I need a little bit more. Okay, how do I survive this life? No, no, no. We're, we're not fully the church. We're not fundamentally the church when we huddle together. We huddle together so that we can go out and be the church in the city. So that we can be the church. You are just as much and probably more fully the church. Not on Sunday, on Monday. You are fully the church. You are living out your calling as a disciple on Tuesday. 
on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, again on Sunday, into Monday. We come and we retreat only to go back out. But Christian, what we do sometimes is we're, we're holding on to our life and say, well, I got this career I got to figure out. I got grades I got to work on at school. I've got dreams I've got to do. I got to find a new job. I've got to figure out a relationship. I got to figure out parenting. I've got to figure all this out. And yes, okay, I, let me just add into my life a little more Jesus. All right, I hear you, preacher. I'll go be kinder when I go to work. No, he's saying, I'm breathing you into a new creation. This is creation language that he is doing recreating you when he breathed over you into an ambassador, into the very presence of Christ. You, according to Jesus, are Jesus incarnate in your place. The neighborhood you live, the apartment complex you live, the condos you live in, your friend group, your family, your neighborhood, you are the hands and feet, the body of Christ. You are the incarnation there. You are the physical manifestation of Jesus. You say, that makes me uncomfortable the way you're describing me like that. Then you need to stretch your imagination like a child to believe who you are. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. You are a temple. You are tabernacling at your place of work the presence of Jesus Christ. It's not something simple as just try to act more like a Christian. It's go live out the presence of Jesus Christ there. You know, this language is the similar language to the book of Ezekiel. When Ezekiel walked out and he saw dry bones, dead bones everywhere. And God says, son of man, what do you see? And he sees, I, I see a valley of dry bones. I see a dead army of dry bones, not freshly slain, long dead. And he says, speak to these bones. Call from the four winds. He says, call breath to come on these bones. And he calls the four winds and it says, flesh comes over these bones, breath comes into them and they rise up like a mighty army, a mighty army back from the dead. Do you know what that prophecy was about? You, Christian. That was about you. A dead skeleton walking around, but because of the presence of Jesus Christ, you're resurrected with the, with the Spirit of God inside of you, calling you alive and becoming something brand new. That is who you are. You are an, a resurrected army. The presence of Jesus everywhere you go. That is who you are. That is the mission you are called to live. You say, okay, but I'm just like, I just, I hear you. I want to be that. But there's some Christians that are like, that live that out. And I'm just like the regular Christian that's trying to make it. I got, you know, I got troubles. I mean, I got trying to pay bills. I'm trying to get through medical stuff. I've got problems at work. I've got difficult coworkers. I've got distractions and, and this and that. I've got, I, I'm, I'm messed up. I, I mean, if I say that I'm a Christian, they know I don't live it out. I mean, I've got, I've got stuff. And you know what, there, are a, there is a certain type of Christian that has a special calling to be missionaries. They're called to be missionaries overseas. 
There's people in our own church. There's a, a young woman named Jenny Rosario who's been coming to our church for many years and has been, is a teacher and just cannot, she's been talking to, to, uh, to some of her pastors for a while. I just can't get this calling that I'm called to go where there's not, the gospel's not as present. And in just a few months, she's gonna be leaving from our, our church home and she's gonna go out as a missionary to Prague in the Czech Republic. And she's gonna go live out her calling in a foreign land, a missionary disguised as a teacher. Another couple, they're, they're uh, small group leaders. Uh, Manny, and, and, um, Manny and Terry Bersach, they're small group leaders here in our church, and they've been feeling this call to go out on the mission field in the next few months. They're going to leave here, and they're going to go to a foreign land they've never lived in. They're going to go to Medellin, Colombia, and they're going to be a part of a church planning movement. And you know what? That is a special work that God is doing, calling them out to be missionaries in a foreign land. And we honor them, we support them, we fuel them, we pray for them, we send them. Them. But that, that's just, some of us do that. So some of us are called to be f- missionaries in a foreign land. What about the rest of us? Well, the rest of us, we're called to be missionaries in our homeland. Christian, you're one of two things. You're a missionary or a missionary. <laughs> Those are the options. You're a missionary in some other land or you're a missionary in South Florida. And so if you're not going to another land, you wake up tomorrow on Monday a missionary to South Florida. You say, I'm not a missionary, I'm a banker. You're a missionary disguised as a banker. You're a missionary disguised as a barista. You're a missionary disguised as a business owner. You're a missionary disguised as a scientist, disguised as an accountant, disguised as a nurse. You are a missionary. That is what your calling is. That is what Jesus says that you are. You say, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, you're just going to have to make it, you're going to bring it down to earth. What do I do tomorrow? You are, here's where we're starting as city changers, just start here. How do you bear fruit tomorrow? You believe what's said about you. You go live an incarnational life. You are the presence of Jesus there. And you know what Jesus did? This is how Jesus did it. He told a story like this. He said, there's a man walking down the road. And he saw another man that had been robbed and beaten within an inch of his life. And that man had different views than him. Different background. Different politics. Different religion. Different ethnicity. But it didn't matter. It was a hurting human, and all humans are made in the image of God. And even though other people had gone to the other side of the road and walked past, he just said, here's someone I can show love to. And at great cost to himself, he stopped because God brought him into his path. And he showed him love. He showed him love at financial cost to himself. He showed him love at great physical safety risk. What was the condition? God brought him into his path. So here's the adventure Jesus has sent you on. This is not optional. This is who you are. It's your identity. He sent you into the world. And tomorrow, on Monday, he's going to bring someone into your path. And you're going to be Christ to that person. You're going to just show them love. 
at cost to yourself. The type of love that you can't really show unless you know the gospel. If the one who sent us carries scars, and we're saying he's our guy, we're gonna carry his name, Christian. We're gonna go into the world in the same way, prepared to risk and suffer whatever he calls us for the calling he sent us into the world for. That's your mission. Go be the presence of Jesus. Here's what I wanna give you. I wanna give you one practical piece of homework. Here's what I want you to do, because I want you to remember this. What I want you to do tomorrow is I want you, when you get wherever you're at, maybe um, your work, place of work, your school, maybe your home, you're in your neighborhood, wherever you are tomorrow, I want you at some point to stop, take out your phone, I want you to take a selfie of yourself in that place. I want you to take that selfie as a reminder, this is my mission field. If you're on social media, here's what I want you to do. I want you to then post it, and I want you to put the hashtag because we love SFL. I want you to post that up. Because here's what I want us to do. Those of you who are, are on social media, I want you to see each other and start getting a feel for where your church, how it's scattered throughout South Florida, where our missionary presence has reached. Because it's in banks, it's in hospitals, it's in schools, it's in all types of neighborhoods, all types of cities throughout South Florida almost every industry, it's all throughout as a reminder that that is where you are called to be a missionary. Take that photo of yourself so that you can be remembered and you can remember where you are called to be a missionary and so that we can share it with each other. Put the hashtag because we love SFL so we can start celebrating that and seeing that and encouraging each other with that throughout the week. We're gonna end our time remembering the scars. And so um, we're going to take communion together. If you would, if you are a disciple, follower of, of Jesus, if you've given your life to follow Jesus, I want you to go ahead and grab these elements. Um, if you uh, are a follower of Jesus and you didn't get these when you came in, um, there's someone coming up down the, down the, uh, up the aisle. Just lift up your hand. They will uh, get, give one to you. If you're at watching at home, you can just grab uh, two elements. You grab juice and a piece of bread or a cracker because these are symbols as we remember uh, what Jesus did for us. We're, we only have the courage to go. Listen. The reason that our dominant emotion is not fearfully huddling but joyfully going is because we've seen the scars. He has victory. What can the world do to us? We know the end of the story. Everything gets redeemed. We're in Christ. We have the same trajectory. It's suffering, then glory. It's death, then resurrection. It's that all things work together for good. And the only thing that makes that true about us is the resurrection of Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. As often as you take this, do this remembering me. Go ahead and peel that top layer off and take that piece of bread as a reminder his body was broken for us. In the same way he took the cup after supper and he poured the wine out and he said my this is my blood that is shed for you do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take that foil level layer off. 
And as you drink this juice, be reminded of Christ's blood that was shed for us. It changed everything about the universe and made you into a new creation. You may be here today and you may be saying, look, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I'd like to know more about being a follower of Jesus. You can just write that, jot that down on your Get Connected card. We'd love to, to talk with you more. You can go find one of us in the back or at guest services. You can reach out to us on the chat if you're watching online. We'd love to tell you more about taking that step to making Jesus your king. Maybe you're here and you say, look, I want to, maybe you're here or you're at Cooper City, you're watching online, you say, look, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to make Jesus my king. And if that's you, I'm going to pray over you right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And if that's you, I want you to find salvation today. Receive the Holy Spirit. I pray over those Jesus who at this point are surrendering their life to you. They're giving you their life and their soul is crying out to you. They know that they need your death on the cross. They believe in the resurrection and they want the Holy Spirit living inside of them, operating inside of them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would, you would descend on them, that they would find salvation today. They would find empowerment today as they go out into the world, having received the Holy Spirit on the mission, sent ones, sent out into the world as followers of you, as mathetes, as disciples of Jesus that today would be their day where they have found salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if that was you and you took that step today, let us know. If you're watching online, go to cityrev.org slash faith, or you can do that on your cell phone, or come talk to us at guest services, or let us know on the Get Connected card. Church, we're gonna close with a song, and we're gonna end our time just focusing on the person of Jesus, because as we focus on Jesus, as we lift our voices and sing about Jesus, as we abide in him, the Father brings fruit out of our lives. Would you stand with me as we close with the song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.